Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about net carbs versus total carbs. There's a lot of discussion around this. I get a lot of questions about this one. Which one is better, net carbs versus total carbs? And, you know, it's really hard to get away from this, too, because you go into the grocery store and, oh, my goodness, this is used everywhere. This is such a marketing ploy by the food industry. Everybody is so sold on this idea that low carb is best. So we get that pushed on us a lot within the the fitness industry itself. There's a lot of people who are pretty behind on the research and they are just absolutely convinced that low carb is the best way to lose body fat. Those that are up to date on research understand that no, low carb, high carb, it doesn't matter. Just choose the method you enjoy the most and you can be the most consistent with. Now, I will say that there is a slight caveat to that low-carb, high-carb thing, and that is in regards to training. So a lot of training methods do actually prefer higher carbs. So CrossFit-style training, you're going to actually perform better and enjoy your workouts with higher carbs. So if you can get the same fat loss with higher carbs, plus the higher carbs fuels your training that you love so much, even better, then that's like, that's it. That's the method that you're going to want to choose. So low carb and CrossFit can really cause, you know, training to suffer. And it's not just CrossFit, guys. That same type of like metabolic approach, low rest periods, burnouts, triple sets like that, where you're going with, from one thing to another with really low rest period. A lot of women really gravitate towards that type of training, mostly because of our endurance levels are so high. And so we tend to gravitate towards that more than men do. And we will do better with higher carbs and that type of training. So I'm just going to encourage you to kind of review your training. Is that the type of training that you're doing? And do you feel like your training is suffering? Maybe look at your nutrition and think, huh, I'm going to bump my fats down a bit and increase my carbs and see how I feel. You know, there is no magic macro ratio. In fact, smart macros have to do more with making sure you're getting adequate enough protein and making sure your carbs are aligned with your training. And so hopefully that makes sense. And, you know, just review if you find your training suffering, review your nutrition. Are you too low carb for the type of training that you're doing? Just think about that. So this whole net carbs versus total carbs really derived from this low carb is better type of dieting and has now been taken by the food industry and really marketed. I also do want to talk about a question that I get a lot that actually has to do with the net carbs versus total carbs. And most people don't even realize that that they're connected. A lot of times people will ask me, well, why are my calories and my my macros off in my fitness pal or whatever tracker that I'm using. And one, it it could be that maybe just poor selection, you know, my fitness pal is the database that anybody can add to. 
And sometimes people add stuff that is all sorts of ski wampus and doesn't match up. And that could be the case. But more than not, what people are actually seeing is they're seeing net carbs being taken from the calories. So that's why they're seeing this deviance from that. So let's talk about this. What are total carbs? Total carbs are made up of starches, dietary fibers, sugar, and sugar alcohols. So that's total carbs. It's everything that makes up a carb. Net carbs is a little bit different. Net carbs can show up in nutrition labels one of three ways is is how I've seen it the most often. It is net carbs equals total carbs minus fiber or the net carbs is total carbs minus sugar, alcohols, and fibers or net carbs equals total carbs minus sugar, alcohols. So let me kind of show you how this looks in a nutrition label, right? Here I have a Built Bar. I really do love Built Bars. They don't affect my stomach in bad ways. They do affect some clients because of the sugar alcohols. I really do encourage people to pay attention to how foods make them feel and how it affects their digestion. And when it has negative effects on their digestion, I firmly believe you need to cut that food out, okay? Don't just keep forcing your body to digest something it doesn't like because you think it tastes good. You know, the same people who do that over years, I watch them on Instagram. They'll openly talk about how, well, this bar does this to my stomach, but I don't care. I love how it tastes. It's so amazing. And then a year later, two years later, they're like, well, I've got to go see a gut doctor now. I've got to get my gut figured out, having that major gut issues. Yeah, because your body spent years telling you, cut this out, and you refused to listen. And it finally just broke. So don't ignore your body. Don't be that person. Okay, so let's break this down. Now, I'm looking at this nutrition label for this built Bar right now. And it says calories are 130. Now there are 2.5 grams of fat. And it says total carbs is 18 grams and protein is 17. Well, if I calculate that, you know, fat, one gram is nine calories. Carbs and protein, one gram is four. If I calculate that out, that comes to calories of 162, not 130. But you see, what Built Bar did was they subtracted the sugar alcohol. And that's what gave us the 130. So what you're going to see oftentimes in MyFitnessPal, if you look at the daily carbs, you're going to see the 18 grams of carbs. But the calories are going to be a little off because it subtracted eight grams because it came from a sugar alcohol. So the question is, why take out fiber and sugar alcohols from carbs? Where did this all come from? Well, honestly, this was created from the push, like I said, that low-carb diets are better. And the food industry, really looking to make money off of this obsession with low-carb diets, If we make our product look like the lowest carb or calorie product, then you'll buy it. 
will make you feel like it's better than the other one because look, it's four grams net carbs, not 20 like our competitor. So that's where this push really came from. Just a side note, I do find this important and interesting to note. The definition of net carbs actually remains so vague and isn't legally defined by the FDA, which honestly, in my opinion, increases the likelihood that some food manufacturers could really abuse this if they wanted to. So that's just food for thought. But why would people take out the fiber and the sugar alcohols? If you're still wondering about that, don't worry, we're going to cover that too. The basic idea is that your body doesn't break down all carbs the same way, such as fiber and sugar alcohols. So they don't quote unquote count as much as, you know, total and the starches and those table sugars because they aren't fully used as calories in. They are low impact on your blood sugar levels, which means your blood sugar won't rise as much. And these sugar alcohols are largely indigestible. So that's what they're saying. This, they're, the, the fibers, the sugar alcohols, they can't be digested as much. They, and so they don't really count. The body doesn't seem to break them all down. So is there truth to that? Yeah, there, there is. But there's a big caveat that a lot of times pro-net carbers don't talk about. And that is how the body responds to fiber and sugar alcohols is actually vastly different per person. And there's also this. In regards to the idea that these sugar alcohols are all low impact, as far as the glycemic index and how it affects your blood sugars, that one's not true because some sugar alcohols affect it more than others. So really quickly, the glycemic index assigns a numeric score to a food based on how drastically it makes your blood sugar rise. And this net carbs idea goes off a lot on this bowl we don't want this rise. So net carbs um, aren't going to cause this. They aren't going to be digested. And so this is an important part of the discussion. But here's the thing. Studies have actually shown that the GI of maltitol, maltitol is one of these so-called low-impact sugar alcohols that can't be digested, that doesn't cause any spike in your blood sugar levels, But it actually has a GI of 35, a value two points higher than M&Ms. So they're actually showing that it can be broken down by an intestinal enzyme. It can be absorbed. So it's not completely true. So yes, there is some truth to it. But there's also so many caveats that the question really is, is it worth it? I don't believe that it is. I personally tell people, well, you do what's best for you. You do what you want to do. But there's not enough pros to only counting net carbs over total carbs. There just really isn't. 
But let's talk about the psychology of this, because I do think that when it comes to dieting, there's the what it does for your body, what it does to your mind. There's these two aspects of it. So psychologically, I feel like people are drawn to net carbs because they feel like they get to eat more because they are going off of these lower calories, lower carb nutrition facts. And so they can eat more while staying on track. But in some ways, it's almost comical to me because I'm like, wait, but the truth is you could just set your carbs and calories higher and do total carbs and it would be the same. And I think the hassle of net carbs is just more than it's worth. More than that, though, I feel like macros in a cut, in a diet, in a calorie deficit should educate people on foods and portion sizes. And when people are just trying desperately to reach out for this tiny little edge of, I just, I just want to eat more, so I'm going to do net carbs because I feel like I can eat more and still maintain my consistency to my plan. Well, if the desire is to eat more, then why don't you just eat more whole foods, which are higher voluminous foods? So instead of a little bar that aren't near as filling, why don't you just choose 80% whole foods so you get more volume, you eat a lot more for same lower calories, But there's also this part about feeling full and satisfied that's actually really important for staying on track as well. And part of feeling full and satisfied actually comes from choosing those high voluminous foods. The stomach needs to actually feel full And kind of this like almost like a little bit of a stretch even to send out fullness and satisfaction cues. So if you're eating this like tiny little bar, yeah, it tastes good, but it's tiny and it's not going to have that same impact within your stomach and it's not going to have that same impact within your body as to make you feel full and satisfied. And so you eat it. And then you end up looking around and being like, well, what else can I eat? Please keep in mind, I'm not anti-protein bar. Oh my goodness, I have like one a day. I love them. But I think that they need to be used appropriately and not abused. So we need to be turning more towards these whole foods that will actually are nutrient dense too. So they help us feel fuller. We get that full stomach, that little bit of stretch, and we feel satisfied. and it helps with our hunger as well versus turning to these tiny little bars that may taste good, but they have these minimal effects in the body as far as staying on track goes too. So I will always push this choose 80% whole foods and 20% of those fun foods. And another thing to mention is if you take that same pattern of eating where you're just going to look for anything that tastes good 
And if you put that in a reverse, and now you're filling your reverse calories and your maintenance calories up with just these, like, these like tiny calorie dense, but they're health foods because it says protein, right? Protein bar. If we're filling up our reverse and maintenance with that, it really does become increasingly difficult at maintenance to then start learning intuitive and mindful eating. I really believe that maintenance, you should not track for your whole life. And you certainly should not track at maintenance for long periods of time, maybe for short periods so that you can learn what it feels like to sit at maintenance. But in order to not overeat at maintenance, the same principles that you used in a calorie deficit of choosing whole foods, getting tons of vegetables in, all of these apply at maintenance too. But I feel like people are so excited to have higher calories. And so they fill them with the junk food that they thought that they couldn't have in a calorie deficit. And then what ends up happening is they end up overeating. And then they're like, oh, my reverse and maintenance didn't work for me because I tried to there. It's like, well, but you couldn't mindfully eat there because you started filling your plate with these calorie dense foods that don't give your body the same signals as far as being full and satisfied. And so, yes, because you're filling your plate with that at maintenance, it is going to be ridiculously hard for you to mindfully eat at maintenance while filling your plate with that. So let's switch gears a little bit and say, okay, now you've been educated on the net carbs versus total carbs. It's up to you to decide what you want to do. I personally do total carbs, but there's a problem because what about my fitness pal? My fitness pal still does this whole thing where it will take the sugar alcohols out of the calories. So the carbs will say one thing, but it won't match up with the calories. So you have a few different options here. If you really want to be super accurate about that, then just go, then ignore the calories and just go off of carbs, fats, and proteins. But what about those people who are only tracking protein and calories? they're going to find that their numbers are off a little bit, once again, because of this whole net carb idea. And there are periods of time where I will do just calories and protein. So what do I do? Well, I I don't overthink things. (laughs) Let that one sink in. I don't. I don't overthink things. So I really do believe that the most successful people in fitness over the long run I don't care if somebody was successful for three months. That actually doesn't mean that much to me. When people show a three-month before and after, I'm like, hmm, I want to see you in a year. That's what I want. That's a real success story. So I want to see how they do after a year or two. Are they able to stay healthy in mind and body? That's what I consider a success story. So of those people, they don't overthink the small things. like. Maybe my calories will be off by 20 in my fitness pal because it took off the sugar alcohols. That's okay. I still landed right around my protein and my calories. So don't freak out about stuff like that. We're shooting for consistency over time. People almost get paralyzed with these things like, should I track meat 
raw or cooked. I don't know. I'm paralyzed. I can't even do anything because I need to know the answer to this. Guys, stop overthinking things. That can hurt you more than raw or cooked protein ever will. The best thing really is to choose a method of least resistance that works best for you and be consistent with that method. Now, if I may add one other thing to this whole discussion, the FDA allows for 20% calorie variance in nutrition labels. So your nutrition label itself can be off. And that's okay. Don't have a panic attack. Tracking macros is not a perfect system, but it can be as close as we possibly can get. And that's okay. Just do your best to follow the plan. And if the plan is working, great. Keep going with it. If it's not, after a two to three week period, there's no changes in pictures, in weight, in measurements, and how you feel in your clothes, then we may need to make some adjustments. Then we need to look at, okay, am I truly being consistent to the way that I track and my methods? Am I being consistent with that? No, well, then I need to be. Yes, well, then let's move on to the next question. The next question is, how is my daily activity levels? Is it, is it you know, high? Do I need to raise that? Are we getting about 10,000 calories or are we sitting at a desk job and only getting like 4,000, or not calories, I meant steps, 4,000 steps a day? Well, then look for ways to increase that daily activity. And if your daily activity is good, it's around 10,000 steps a day. Then the next thing we finally get to is, okay, well then let's lower calories a little bit and see how the body responds over the next two to three weeks. So that's how we kind of navigate how things are working and how we change our approach if they're not. So hopefully this discussion on net carbs and how it affects like your tracking and what method you'll want to choose, hopefully it's been enlightening for you guys. The main takeaways that I want you to kind of walk away with is, is one, um, low carb, high carb diet, it really doesn't matter. The literature is so solid on this one. It doesn't matter. Just choose the method you enjoy the most and can be consistent to. Net carbs versus total carbs. It doesn't matter. Net carbs versus total carbs. It doesn't matter. Just choose a method that you enjoy the best that you can be the most consistent with. The last takeaway is don't overthink things. Do not overthink things. Really, those that are successful in fitness, they don't overthink things. They are consistent with the things that matter most. Choose how you want to track energy in and be as consistent as you can to those methods. Thank you for joining me today, guys, on the Lifting Lizzie podcast. Hopefully this information helped you and empowered you to make better decisions. If you have any questions, send me a message on Instagram at Lifting Lindsay, or you can check out my website where I have information on my coaching and my training app.